Welcome back to another episode of Who's on the Lord's Side. I'm very, very excited about today's episode because I have finally managed to sit down and put together an episode connecting Esau to Rome, showing how Rome is Esau, um, the Edomite, and Idumea, and all this stuff. And I'm really excited to present it to everyone today. First, I'd like to say thank you so much for tuning in to another episode if this isn't your first episode and this is your first episode um thank you for so much for just downloading an episode and clicking play as we all know the focus of this podcast is i cannot tell god to everybody all at once especially not through one episode so what i try to do is plant seeds of curiosity um interest or wonder specifically about god or the bible some things that you may have never heard before concerning it, you know, so that if you may have been looking at it in one way, then you look at it in a new light. Or a lot of you maybe have already are in this um, new awakening of truth, you know, that that spirit of truth that the Lord has been pouring out, like he said, he wouldn't last days. So you're just coming back for more. Or maybe there's some things, you know, and you're getting more from it. But either way, thank you for coming back. Now, before I begin, I want to say, um, or I'm praying that the most high use me to get this out the best way that I can because it's a lot but it's okay the second thing is I'm asking that you all please bear with me because I don't know if you have a lot of these books like one of the books I'm going to be referring extensively is the ancient book of Jasher but I'm going to read um a lot of my references are going to come from from here the bible and um other things as well so we can see we know what has happened now because I will be doing a lot of reading, I hope that I don't bore anyone. Like I said, if you can push through it, there is a greater message there. And I can promise you that by the time you're done with the episode, like you're going to be like, well, dang, you know what I'm saying? Like I either knew some of this, but didn't know all of this right here um, and whatever else. So let me start with um, entitling this episode that Esau is wrong. So it is so much. I don't even know where to begin. Let's start with... Um, Let's start with the the birth of Esau and Jacob, right? Let's start there. Okay, so when we have when we have um, Esau and Jacob, we meet them at Genesis chapter twenty five, verse nineteen, and it says, "And these are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begat Isaac." Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Padam Aram, the sister of um, Tulabam, the Syrian. Okay. Now it says, if we skip down to verse 21, it says that Rebekah, Esau's wife, not Esau, excuse me, Rebecca, Isaac's wife, conceived. And the children struggled together within her. So she was having a difficult pregnancy. And she said, if it be so, you know, why am I thus? Meaning, why am I suffering so much? And she went to inquire of the Lord concerning the pregnancy and what she felt was literally a war going on in her stomach. And the Lord said unto her in verse 23, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. And the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. 
Okay. Now, we're going to notice here that I say two nations, not just two boys or two children. It's two nations. So if we're talking about two nations, you're talking about like uh, United States of America being one nation representing one child. And you're talking about, let's say, the U.K., um, being another nation or, and, or, or Africa, the entire continent being another nation, again, representing the second child. So what you're basically saying is you got United States and Canada in your womb. Woo, that's big. You know what I'm saying? Like, okay, okay. That's huge. So, And then not only that, but there was a prophecy saying that um, one, one of the people shall be stronger than the other. You know, the other will be weaker. And that the elder shall serve the younger. Okay, so it says when her days were fulfilled to be delivered, there were twins in her womb, and the first came out red. He came out red all over like a hairy garment, and they called his name Esau. And after that came his brother out, and his hand took hold the heel um, of Esau, and his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was threescore years old when she bare them. Okay, now, it continues on to just go on to say that the boys grew, that Esau became a hunter, a man of the field, and Jacob was more of a plain man who just basically liked to stay inside. And it said that Isaac, though, loved Esau, okay, because he did eat of his venison, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So, you know, our parents have their favorites, so the mom had a favor over Jacob. Meanwhile, um... The father, I guess naturally too, because it was his firstborn, because you know a lot of the um, blessings were to be inherited by the firstborn. He was next in line. So there's probably a good chance that he already said, this is the one who's going to be the one to take on the blessing that I'm going to pass on to, you know, when I get in my old age and my eyes are dim, so to speak. So that could be why. But when you hear that Rebecca, I mean, just from this side alone, from the Bible's version, you, you know, you hear Rebecca saying that she liked the other one. And you're like, okay, well, moms have favorites as well. But we're going to go on and a little later on when I read some other, we're going to read pretty much the same story, just with bigger pieces of meat in another area to kind of piece together this whole big picture so we can understand who is Esau and how Esau can possibly be Rome. And why that would make sense today, you know, and, and, and as far as why the children of Israel are scattered and why Rome seems to be this dominant powerhouse that just seems to be running around here telling everybody what to do. And now the so-called Pope is running around here trying to do this interfaith, inter, you know, kind of like you did in the United Nations, do that one world thing, but they're trying to do like an interfaith thing. So now he's going around to different uh, religions and, and, and giving them rosaries while he's taking, which is, uh, you know, you're not supposed to have that, but and taking pieces of um, their religion religious uh i guess you could say pieces and stuff like that so rome is really wicked in origin you know and they say that's usually the great harlot in revelation but before we get too carried away i wanted to talk about esau's descendants that is mentioned in the bible so we have here in chapter 26 i believe verse 34 of genesis it says, and Esau was 40 years old when he took to wife Judith, the daughter of Beeri, the Hittite. Okay. And Bashemeth, the daughter of Eli, who was also a Hittite. It says, which were a grief. It was a grief to the mind of Isaac and Rebekah, his parents. So he goes and take two women from the Hittite people, which was like, oh my gosh, disturbing to the parents. Now. I went just for our sake, because, you know, like I said, I don't just try to 
spit out things I like for us to get the full picture. The Hittites, as I looked into it, um, I knew who they were, but just to give you all a better understanding, um, are pretty much repeatedly mentioned throughout the Hebrew uh, Bible and the Tanakh, and also in the Old Testament that is referred to by, I guess you could say, Christians or Bible readers or Catholics or whatever. And they are well-known, the Hittites are well-known adversaries of the Israelites. And their God, the Hittites' God, little g, is also a known um, adversary to, to the Israelites and the God, capital G, of the Israelites. So, um, according to Genesis 10, the, the Hittites were descendants of Heth, son of Canaan, who was a son of Ham, and Ham was born unto Noah. And as we know, the children of Canaan were not to be, uh, you were not to mingle with them as far as their wives. The only thing they were supposed to ever inherit to take over was the land, because it was milk and honey. But other than that, as far as um, the people and of their ways, Ham was destined to be cursed, you know. And it was not just, he was not just the only black person, because you can't have three brothers come from one bloodline and only one, one brother is black and the other brothers aren't black and the father isn't black, whatever, or whatever color you want. You could pick pink, you could pick purple, blue, white, or whatever. But, you know, it, it's not just that. that Ham was black people and he was cursed it was just don't marry from amongst them okay and I also talked about in a previous episode how Moses reigned over Ethiopia for 40 years and and even though he was married to the woman he never consummated the marriage because she was amongst the daughters of Canaan okay which was what the Lord said no so now we can see why it was that Isaac and Rebecca was grieved onto um onto onto um onto Esau for making such a decision. And so when Esau marries these two women, he's technically marrying two heathen women, which also proves or provides additional evidence of his spiritual dullness. Okay. And by spiritual dullness, I just mean like he wasn't that bright. Okay. We know he wasn't that bright because he went and sold over his, um, his, um, his, his, um, birthright, you know, for some soup (laughs) or whatever. So, I mean, to me, that, that's just kind of like somebody that's not, you know, that doesn't really necessarily is taking things as serious. Now, when you go to Genesis chapter 25 or chapter 26, I should say, is when they sell their birthright. So after we uh, jump here, I'm going to go to the genealogies of Esau, meaning who his children were. This is important. So please bear with me. And um, we're going to I'm going to note out which one of his descendants that we're going to pay attention to the most. And then we're going to follow one of those descendants all the way down to Rome. Okay. And then you're going to tell me, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Based on what you, what I read and what I show you, and you can do your own further evidence yourself. If you can't see based on the, you know, what I'm showing you and, and you connecting the dots yourself, if Esau is modern day Rome today. So Esau sells his birthright. So it says um, in chapter 26, verse 29, and Jacob sod pottage and Esau came from the field and he was faint. So whatever he was doing in the field, he was extremely tired and exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, feed me, feed me, Seymour. Let me stop. (laughs) Feed me. I pray thee with that same red pottage for I am faint. Therefore, was his name called Edom, okay? Now, and Jacob said, sell me this day your birthright. And Esau said, behold, I am at the point to die. And what profit shall this birthright be to me? And Jacob said, swear to me this day. 
and he sware unto him, and he sold his birthright unto Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils, and he did eat and drink and rose up and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Okay. Now, <clears throat> I don't know who you are, where you come from, okay? You know, how hard your backgrounds and your upbringings was or whatever. But if you understand your family's legacy by now, which has a proven track record, like Noah, Abraham, Isaac, you know, now you're down to Jacob and Esau, you pretty much know and you already live in the life. <laughs> and I don't mean like it's one of those rock style lifestyles. It's a whole, it's a godly life where you're obeying the commandments of God. But for the most part, you can see in full fruition in your vision and your perception, all the blessings that God has upon you. How, how Esau could just so blatantly with his own that's the thing like somebody could say he was tricked if they want to but if you look at the dialogue that just took place someone was just one was in the house like they always said he said he was he was always in the tent you know he kept to himself so he was cooking this one came from the field he was very faint something had happened i mean you could tell just by how faint he came in it says twice that he was faint first is that he came in and he was faint then he opens his own mouth with his own mouth he says i am faint so give me the pottage because I am faint. Feed me. You know, it's like some kind of urgency here. And then he also says, I am at the point to die. So now, normally you'd be like, man, is he saying I'm so hungry? I'm starving like Marvin. I'm like, my ribs are touching. I feel like I'm going to die. Who needs who needs a birthright when I'm going to die? Now, even if that's what he meant, which I'm going to I'm going to expand on that later in another part that I shall read to, to add to this. But let's say even if he meant that, wouldn't he even sound like somebody who wasn't necessarily worthy of the birthright? You want to give up the birthright based on the, based on the fact that you feel like you hungry right now. You need a plate of food. And what good is a birthright to you if you're about to die from hunger, which God is too good to have let him die from hunger if he is supposed to be next in line to receive this promise. But this is an attitude. So <clears throat> bottom line, at the end of chapter 25, I'm sorry, it's chapter 25. This was chapter 25. Um, I guess you could say verse 19 through 34, the chapter, chapter, the entire chapter of 25. By the end of it, we find out that he just sold it because he despised it. Then, like I said, later on after that, he intentionally marries two women. He knows better, you know, from the Hittite tribe. Now, let's talk about Edom, the name Edom or the Edomites, okay? So, the Hebrew word Edom means red. And we also know that when he was born, he was um, known to be red and or ruddy, okay? Yeah, where they use the term ruddy. King David was also described to be um fair but uh, ruddy in nature as well, which I don't know. For some reason, there's something in the skin that comes off as red, okay? And it is derived from, it is derived, or the name is derived from the name of its father, which is Esau, okay? Esau, or Edom, basically is derived from the name of his father, which is Esau, saying Esau is the father of Edom. And Esau is also the eldest son of um, the Hebrew patriarch Isaac that we already know. Um, as a young adult, we also know that he sold his birthright to his brother, Jacob, for some, um, Red pottage, but the Tanakh describes the Edomites as um, descendants of Esau, but not only does descendants of Esau, but like known um, some kind of like enemies um, to known and known enemies of the children of Israel. There's been time and time again where Esau's descendants and I'm going to show you have come back around to um, attack the children of Israel. I mean, even up until this day, 
that's basically what I'm trying to show you. This is really like a battle of the bloodlines. When you look at this world, it's really crazy. So where do I want to go to next? All right. All right. So Esau's disappointment. So we know that in the story of, um, of the, um, of um, the transferring of the blessing, we know that Rebecca learned um, that her husband' eyes were getting dim. Okay, and she also heard Esau talking to his father, saying, "You know, can you you know go hunt me to you know and bring it, and we'll talk." So she, Rebecca, spoke to Jacob, her son, saying, "You know, I heard your father speaking to your brother, saying, go get me some meat, um, some savory meat that we can eat it or whatever.'" And and I will bless you. Like, this is going to be the time that this blessing is going to be transferred. So she's running to Jacob and she's like, look, you know, this is what I want you to do. So therefore, she's like, listen, take heed to me, to what I'm telling you to do. Go to the flock, you know, um, fetch me from there, like two good kids of goats, and I'll make a savory meat for your father, which he loves. So it's kind of like, just go get me the goats and I'm going to cook it exactly like how he likes it. I'm his wife. I know what he likes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And then you're going to bring it to your father and he's going to eat, you know, and, um, and, 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 you know, that he, 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 that he will hopefully, you know, just bless you before his death. And so Jacob being smart says, but my brother is hairier than I am. And I'm a smooth man because remember Jacob's eyes were dim. So he would not going to be able to see, but he may be, you know, he would be able to talk less and disguise his voice. But what if, you know, God forbid, he was afraid. What if his father touched his arm or on his hand and, and realized that this, you know, his father's not them. He might, his eyes might be dim for crying out loud, but he's not stupid. He does know like one child is hairier than the other. So, um, yeah, so then they took um, an animal and um, kind of cut it down and put like a little coat over him so that he, he um, seemed um, hairy and whatnot. So as it comes to pass... He goes into his father, and Isaac says unto Jacob um, in verse 21 of Genesis 27, he says, I pray thee, come closer that I may feel thee, my son, whether you be my very son Esau or not. So it's very good that the mother thought ahead or, or that Jacob thought ahead because the mother didn't say anything. It was Jacob that said, well, what about my hairy arms, mom? And she's like, well, we'll do this. So it's good that they thought ahead because come to find out that was the test. Let me touch you and make sure you're the one. And Jacob went near unto Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice. See, he's smart. Like I said, his eyes is dim, but he's not that slow. So he says, I don't know. To me, the voice sounds like Jacob. He said, but the hands are definitely that of Esau, Harry. And he discerned him not, meaning he, he didn't take any difference, even though he knew he sounded like Jacob. He said, no, it doesn't matter because by touch, this is Esau. So he blessed him. And he said, art thou my very son Esau? And he said, I am. And he said, bring it near to me and I will eat of my son's venison that my soul may bless thee. And he brought it near to him and he did eat and he brought him wine and he drank. And his father Isaac said unto him, come near now and kiss me, my son. And he came near and kissed him and he smelled the smell of this raiment and blessed him and said, the smell of my son is as the smell of the field, which is the Lord have blessed. Therefore, God give thee of the dew of the heaven and the fatness of the earth and the plenty of corn and wine. Let the people serve thee and the nations bow down to thee. Be Lord over thy brethren and let thy mother's sons bow down to thee. 
Cursed be everyone that cursed thee, and blessed be everyone that blessed thee. And that was it. It was said. It was done. It's like a spell. And so, as we know, Esau comes back in from going to do this great work that his father had asked him to do. But this is the same person who didn't want it. You know, this is the same person who was never even honest with his father that he despised it. But, you know, some people, it's just like, you know, how many how many people inherit things from their loved ones or their family members? They don't even take good care of it. You know, it's just like Solomon said, everything that he, he said, uh, um, all is in vain. King Solomon said that. He said, you know, I have all these things and stuff. He said, but then you give it away to other people and then they break it down or they don't take good care of it, you know, because those all built up on your hard work but yeah either way he denounced the thing for a bowl of pottage and when it was time to get it though he's just running around to go so he finds out that um you know he was tricked because he goes into his father and his father's like well who are you he's like i'm your firstborn <laughs> and he said wait I thought that you came in earlier and he was like, no, you know, pretty much, you know, and it just so happens that, um, is it Esau says to him, he's like, is it just one blessing that you have left father? You know, can you bless me even also like, you know, it has to be like, you have one more left for me. And he was very sad about it. So it seems like he didn't really seem to, it's like, yeah, he wanted it towards the end. Cause I think just for selfish reason, he wasn't never really going to, in my opinion, I don't know. This is what I get from it. But then now to find out that it's really completely out of his grasp and his father said, no, you know, that's just, um, that's not how it works. Is he basically said, behold, you know, your dwelling shall be the fatness of the earth and the dew of the heaven above. And by that sword shall thou live and thou shalt serve your brother. That's it. And it shall come to pass when thou shalt have the dominion that thou shalt, that thou shalt break his yoke from off thy neck. And that's it. So now after that, of course, Jacob and Esau gets into this. Um, it's, it's, it's a war between brothers. And so Jacob now has to flee, if you know the story. And he flees um, into his mother Rebecca's uh, brother's house, his uncle Laban. And then he finds a wife over there. But he's also tricked by his father. I mean, his um, father-in-law, he wants to marry Rachel. But um, he's given Leah. He has to work seven years, they tell him. He worked seven years to, to get Rachel only to be tricked into marrying Leah, you remember. And then after that, another seven years he worked because he still wanted Rachel. So then he got Rachel. And then he said something about another seven years and then you can leave with everybody. And so he probably spent like a total of 21 years there just being manipulated by this man. And um, during that time, it was between... Um, Leah, Rachel, and then the two handmaids that they had, because at some point the two sisters started to get jealous and war with each other amongst how much kids they can give him, was how um, Jacob ended up with just about 12 children while he was over there. So then it comes to the part when he decides that he wants to leave um, Laban and carry on back home and LeBan gives him a hard time. But we're not going to focus on that because what we need to focus on is Jacob and Esau, their relationship. So what do we have next is them meeting um, down the road, right? And um, Jacob is scared for his life because he just feels like his brother is going to kill him, which his brother was getting ready to kill him. But um, comes to find out that the angels came down and, well, you know what? I'm going to take a quick break. And when I come back, I'll talk about that because I just want to get my notes a little bit better. And once I start from there, I'm going to actually take off flight so i want them to just take a break so i can get my little bottle of water and we'll be back because it's a good episode see you in a little bit okay welcome back i wanted to pick up 
where I left off, which is where Jacob prepares to meet Esau. So as we know, uh, he was leaving from Laban's house who had tricked him for 21 years into all this service. But, you know, everything happens for a reason because and at the same time, he did need to hide. And uh, things also did fall into place. It says, you know, everything works out for the good of them that loves the Lord because he got the 12 children or the 12 tribes while he was there between the two wives that he didn't expect to get. He was only looking for one and then the two handmaids. So things started to come into pass from either either way. And also when he came out, he came out very rich because he had a lot of cattle and um, stuff of that nature. Plus the blessing was already on him. But of course now it's time to come meet his brother who he stole the promise from, who even though the brother gave it up and he knew he gave it up, was still upset because now he realized what he gave up. So he's afraid for his life and he's afraid that his brother's going to kill him. Heck, his mother was afraid that he was going to get killed, which is why she sent him um, to Mesopotamia to her brother Laban um, in modern day or Iraq area to um, find a, a wife amongst them. So. Um, he told his messengers to go to Esau with gifts saying, you know, if this is from my brother or this is from your brother, Jacob. And he says, he's sorry. But when the messengers came back, they pretty much said his brother came out with all these men. And, um, you know, it didn't seem like they were well received, which put Jacob in a fear, which made him pray to God that um, he be spared amongst his brother and um, to deliver him, his, his wives, the handmaids and the children. And he said that he still believed on the promise that he had for him, that he would have many children. So, you know, he, he just waited. And in the meantime, he still prepared the presents for his brother. And um, that night, Jacob, Jacob wrestles with an angel. So I'm going to read from there. This is Genesis chapter 32, verse 24. And Jacob was left alone and there wrestled with a man until the break of day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh. And the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaketh. Now, this is the angel that says that. Let me go for the day breaketh. And Jacob says, I will not let thee go except you bless me. I'm not letting you go until you bless me. And you got to respect the man. <laughs> He said, you go sit here with me all night long. <laughs> You're not leaving until you bless me. This is how we are to approach the throne of God boldly. And we are supposed to, what do you say, ask, seek, knock, right? You're, you're, you are supposed to, you know what I mean? Because you're not supposed to just, you know, without any power in it. So he really wanted it. And so um, the angel said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said to him, thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. Israel, Israel, Israel. And so it then says, For as a prince hast thou power with God, capital G, and with men, and you have prevailed. You know. And um, he said, And Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed them there and gave him the blessing. And Jacob called the place of the of the where he saw the angel Peniel because he said he felt like he saw God face to face and that his life was preserved. So, as we know, long story short, because we know how that story goes. That that part is this is this part I have to bring up in order to bring up you know the later parts. You can't just be jumping in the story from like the middle and then going to the end. So, as we know, they meet each other. There's a crying and stuff, and you know they meet the kids. And Laban also runs down, and he says, "You know what? I'm gonna spare you. I'm not gonna kill you." And they make like another truce, and then everybody goes their way. So you have um, Obi Edom, 
Esau Red going to Mount Seir, and then you have um Jacob and his children going to where they were where they eventually went to, and that was that. Boom. So now I want to note, and I need to note to the people that we have that Jacob and Esau, the original brothers of the feud, the original uh, procreators of the feud, had squashed and settled their beef and loved one another at that point that we know of. But I'm also going to show you that Esau's descendants later on down the line ends up not forgiving so much, just like their ancestor Esau did. As a matter of fact, we're going to see that Esau's descendants never forgot about what was lost to them and how they continued to carry a grudge against um, Jacob, a.k.a. Israel's children, the 12 tribes of Israel, because Israel had 12 sons or Jacob had 12 sons, which transferred to 12 tribes, which is how you get the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 tribes of Jacob, not Israel, that that false um, standing nation over there today, because Israel is not just a country of a nation. They made it a nation to kind of try to confuse you, but really Israel is a birth line. Now, with that being said, I wanted to talk about Esau's descendants. <laughs> I got to talk about them because these are the ones that um, went against the truce that their father Esau had made with his own brother Israel, Jacob. And they uh, pretty much went, started to think about it like, wait a minute, we, are, we were the original benefactors of the blessing from the Most High. You know what I mean? Like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I know that our ancestor Esau had made peace with our brethren, uh, the Israelites, and their father. But so to speak, now that we're thinking about it, I feel like we were cheated. So how about we see what we could do about this? So I'm going to show you now who Esau's descendants were. So in Genesis chapter 36, it goes into the descendants of Esau. And I will read briefly. It says, now, these are the generations of Esau, who is Edom. So we already have the Bible telling you that in verse 136, that Esau is Edom. And it goes into his generations, okay? Now, Esau had five children. His firstborn son was Eliphaz, which is mentioned in chapter 36. He also had a, a Ru Ruel, Jeush. Jalam and Korah. He had five sons, Eliphaz being Esau's firstborn son. Okay. And also we see in chapter 36 that Eliphaz had about six sons. He had Teman, Omar, Zepho, which is the name I need you to remember. Zepho. He had Gatam, Kanaz, and then with the concubine named Timnah, he had Amalek which is another name that we need to remember that comes up in the Old Testament many times. So Zepho and Amalek, which, like I said, are the sons of Eliphaz, which are which Eliphaz is the firstborn son of Esau. So what you got here is Zepho and Amalek being descendants of Esau. Now, I'm going to tell you in a minute why that's important. And also in chapter 36, it just keeps going on and say things like. Thus dwelt Esau in Mount Seir. Esau is Edom. It says that in verse eight. And then in verse 9, it says, and these are the generations of Esau, the father of the Edomites in Mount Seir. You know, that's um, verse 9. And then 10, just in case you want to know, it says, these are the names of Esau's son, the first being Eliphaz. Okay. And it goes down to that. And then if you want to see where in the Bible, it says that Zepho and um, Amalek 
our descendants because you know I didn't give those scriptures. It's, it's chapter 36, verses 11 and 12, where you'll see Zepho and Amalek, okay? And these are the descendants of him. Now, the first person I wanted to talk about was um the was Amalek. Now, if you know about Amalek and the Amalekites, you know, you know the first place they pop up is in Exodus chapter 17, verses 8 through 16. And this is when Amalek and the Amalekites make war against the children of Israel in the wilderness. Actually, if you think about it, the, the Am Amalek and the Amalekites making war with the children of Israel in the wilderness after they fled or was fleeing from Pharaoh um, in the great exodus. You technically, this was the first nation that ever attacked a newly freed Israel. And it was very much an abomination in a, in a, in a de um, detestable um, act you know, in, in, in the eyes of God. And you also see the Am, um, Amalekites and Amalek's descendants in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verses 1 through 2. And in 2 Samuel chapter 1, verses 5 through 10, if you want to look at that. But I'm not here to really talk about the Amalekites um, so much. But I did want to say that, remember that the Amalekites and Amalek, or Amalekites are descendants of Amalek, but Amalek is a descendant of Esau through his firstborn son, through Esau's firstborn son, Eliphaz. So what you're basically seeing after the Exodus is that Esau's descendants were attacking the, the Israelites, or Esau was attacking Jacob slash Israel, two brethren was attacking, one was attacking the other that wasn't supposed to. And also in, in Judaism, the Amalekites come to represent the enemy of the Jews, so to speak. Okay, so now you already have Amalek being proven um, to be a descendant of Esau, who as soon as they were a newly freed, I mean, they didn't even get the Ten Commandments yet. As soon as they came out and was in the wilderness, who came to kill them or try to take them out? They're like, oh, no, y'all about to start to be this nation that we that, uh, stole our birthright. Come on, let's think about it. And we don't want that to happen. We got to stop y'all by any means necessary. And they tried to take them out and they couldn't. And this is the moment when um, um, Moses had to stand up on the mountain with the two ar arms held high. And every time his arms were held high, the children of Israel would prevail. But then when his arms went down, the Amalekites would prevail. And so after a while, he needed Aaron, his brother. And remember, her was on one side and they had to hold him up. You know what I'm saying? Because sometimes even the prophets of God need help to do something because his arms was getting so tired. Okay, but that was Amalek. So now I already I told you to, to remember his name. We will cross him out because the next person I'm going to attack and go after for the rest of this episode is Zepho. Okay, as we know, Zepho was Eliphaz, one of Eliphaz's six sons. And Eliphaz is, a, is, is, is the firstborn son of Esau and Esau is the brother of Jacob. All right, we're going to follow all this down. I'm going to go now into the ancient book of Jasher. If you have the ancient book of Jasher, and, um, you know, if you haven't heard me in the previous episodes, it is one of the many books that was in the Bible that was taken out by the Council of Nicaea under Emperor Roman, Roman Emperor Constantine. Um, they decided which books they felt should be there and should not be there. Man should have never. I mean, these, this is people who had no right at all. This is Rome. Again, Rome sat down under the Council of Nicaea under Roman Emperor Constantine. Rome, I'm going to show you, is Esau. So Esau people got together and decided which books they wouldn't want to be there. And when I read to you the damning evidence that's in Jasher concerning them, how it sh clearly shows who they are, each book that's been re removed has a, more of a piece of a gem to who these people really are and, and shows exactly why the books are removed. It's like you got to go in there to see why it was they took it out. And that's what we're going to do. So again, it was referenced in um, Joshua, the book of Joshua, chapter 10, verse 13, 2 Samuel 
verse 1 um, and 18. And it's very funny that 2 Samuel verse 1 and 18 is here because this is when they talk about the in 2 Samuel um, chapter 1, they're talking about the Amalekites. Um, coming after the children of Israel and um, how the hand, how the hands had to stay up all day and all night and how Aaron and her had to help Moses. And then this, they would, they would refer to the book. Like, is it not also written in the ancient book of Jasher because Jasher translates into the book of the righteous, the book of the upright or the book of accurate events. Okay. It's literally a history book now. Oh, so much to go to. We're going to go into, I don't want to, I mean, I could talk about Jacob and Esau being born, but I don't really want to, you know, I feel like we've already talked about that. So let's talk about Eliphaz being born. Okay. So in chapter 29, um, verse 17, it says Esau's son was born Eliphaz. So it says in those days, I just want to show you, I just want to show you that, um, in, even in this book, it, it connects them. So in those days, Ada, the wife of Esau the wife of Esau conceived and bare him a son and Esau called the name of the son that was born to him Eliphaz and Esau was 65 years old when she when she bare him okay that's now we got him born now we got him born so he's in here all right uh, that's all I want to show with that one. now Zepho um Zepho Zepho who we mentioned in the um, Genesis, I believe chapter, I want to say it was chapter 10, 36, chapter 36. We mentioned that he is also a descendant of um, Esau, one of Eliphaz's sons. So now I'm going to show you that in verse 21 of Jasher. It's amazing how it's also chapter 36 in Jasher as well in verse 21. So in verse 21, it says, and these are the generations of Esau that were born to him in the land of Canaan. And the sons of Esau's were five. Okay. It says, And Ada bore to Esau his firstborn son, Eliphaz. Okay. So we keep getting that checked off, right? And she also bare to him Reuel. Okay. Then um, they said, Alibama bare to him Jeush, Yalam, and Korah. Verse 23. These are the children of Esau. Who were born to him in the land of Canaan. Listen, it says, and the sons of Eliphaz, the son of Esau, were Teman, Omar, Zepho, remember the name Zepho, Gatam, Kanaz, and Amalek, and all of this. And I'm, this I'm just showing. That the same genealogy that's in Jasher is the same genealogy that's in, in Jasher 36 is the same genealogy for Esau's descendants as in um, Genesis 36. This is why I'm doing that. So I'm not, so, so nobody thinks I'm picking Zepho from the Bible and I'm just sticking him with some, with some coincidentally named Zepho in Jasher. Come to find out it's the same Zepho. Okay. Now, as we keep going on, that's all that I wanted to show. Okay, as far as that, because all we have there is that he was born. So right now I showed you where Eliphaz is born in Jasher, and I showed you where Zepho is proven also like in, in okay, right now we're going to keep going on. Now Zepho, later on, moving through Jasher, starts to create all these problems. Like he starts to become one of these 
Mind you, he represents Esau. Once you have a descendant of somebody, you represent Esau, okay? Just like the 12 tribes of Israel represent Israel, who represents Jacob, you know what I'm saying? But they're not Jacob, but if you're looking at them, you might as well do this is Israel right here, or Jacob, and this is Esau right here. It don't matter how many how many centuries down, you still have the same people. So I wanted to talk about in, um, in um, Jasher verse 57, I mean chapter 57, how Zepho makes war with the children of Israel. Yeah, Zepho makes war with the children of Israel. And from here, I'm going to do extensive reading because I'm going to also show you how Zepho was the one who unites Italy and became the first Roman king. Oh, yeah. And then we're going to talk about how Zepho was on top of the African-Roman War. Uh-huh. And then we're going to go into how Zepho was also in the midst of the Roman-Egyptian War. And what? When I tell you this man is all over this book and um, uh, how eventually, yeah, he he kept going after the children. Yeah, we'll get, let me just get into it because I'm a little excited. But Zepho makes war. Please note this is going to be some good amount of reading from this point on this is jasher chapter 57 entitled zepho who was the son of eliphaz who eliphaz was the son of esau makes war so it says and it was after this that the sons of esau waged war the sons of esau who who, who still held a grudge now waged war with the sons of jacob and the sons of esau fought with the sons of Jacob and Hebron, and Esau was still lying dead and not buried. See? So Esau died, and then they started, as soon as I could see, as soon as Esau died, they're like, okay, you see that peace and truce that he had with his brother? We're gonna override that and we're gonna go in. So it says, and the battle was heavy between them, and the sons of Esau were smitten before the sons of Jacob. And the sons of Jacob slew of the sons of Esau, 80 men, and not one died of the people of the sons of Jacob because they have the promise of them. So now you got the two brethren who, who the first promise was supposed to go to Esau. Esau, the first one already sold it over, but then got tricked out of it. And then now you got the descendants coming after them. And of course, the descendants are not the descendants of Esau would not prevail over the children of Jacob because by now the children of Jacob got the power. Okay, so it says not one died of the people of the sons of Jacob. And the hand of Joseph prevailed over all the people of the sons of Esau. And he took Zepho, the son of Eliphaz, the son of Esau. You see how they keep making that distinction? Because they need you to know. They need you to know that that's Esau's people. So it says Zepho, the son of Eliphaz the son of Esau, and 50 of his men captive, and he bound them with chains of iron and gave them into the hand of his servants to bring them into Egypt. And it came to pass when the sons of Jacob had taken Zepho and his people captive, all those that remained were greatly afraid of their lives from the house of Esau, lest they should also be taken captive, and they all fled with Eliphaz, the son of Esau, and his people, with Esau's body, and they went on their road to Mount Seir. Mount Seir. Now, you see how Mount Seir keeps coming up? Mount Seir came up in um, Genesis, and Mount Seir keeps coming up. Mount Seir is literally why they say that eventually these people turned into a white origin. I couldn't tell you that. I still got some studies to do on that. Right now, I'm just talking about how Esau managed to turn into Rome. 
Because, like, we already established that um, you can get all the colors from black people because the whitest black person is a um, person with albinism. We talk about the darkest black person come from the Congo and they're purple. So we know from in between that you get all the shades of the rainbow. I couldn't tell you where right white came yet. I'm still studying that. But as you can see, Mount Seir, uh, Esau's people was a mountainous people, which starts those, um, those theories as to them being... Um, also, Mount Seir was in the Caucasus Mountains. You see how you got the term Caucasian? I'm just trying to help somebody, okay, as far as that, why this Mount Seir thing. It says, and it came to, and it came, and they came unto Mount Seir, and they buried Esau in Seir. But notice how all this, all this crap with Zepho making war didn't take place until Esau had just died. Esau couldn't have been dead that long because they did, hadn't even buried him, okay? He died, and all of a sudden, Zepho made war with the children, the children of Israel slay Zepho, and um, took Zepho and some of his men captive, and the rest of his people that was sitting there was so scared, they just took up Esau's dead body, and they just ran back to the mountains to Seir to go bury Esau. That's what we're looking at right here. Okay, and they said, but they had brought. Uh, they said, but they had not brought his head with them to Seir, for it was buried in the place where the battle had been, which was in Hebron. It said, and it came to pass when the sons of Esau had fled from before the sons of Jacob, the sons of Jacob pursued them unto the borders of Seir, but they did not slay a single man from amongst them when they pursued them. For Esau's body, which they carried with them, excited their confusion. So they fled, and the sons of Jacob turned back from them and came back to the place um, with their brethren in Hebron. Okay, so they chased them. Children of Israel chased them all the way down. But remember that Zepho started this war. Thought he was going to win. God prevailed with the children of Israel. They ended up chasing them all the way back to the borders of Mount Seir. And then they remained there on that day and on the next day until they rested from battle. Okay, and uh, let's see. Now Joseph is still alive in these days. Because so now remember, Joseph is um is in Egypt. So I'm gonna read. I mean, like I'm really gonna read a lot to kind of paint the picture as much as I feel is needed. But it says um, so they rested for two days. The Esau's descendants, and it came to pass on the third day that they assembled all the sons of Seir. The Horite, and they assembled all the children of the east, a multitude of people, like the sand and the sea. So now they, they, for three days, they sat down. Two days they sat down. On the third day, they said, We got to come back bigger and stronger. <laughs> this is Esau's people. And who they want to come back stronger and harder for? The children of Israel. And they went and came down to Egypt because the children of Israel was in, in Egypt. Why was they in Egypt? I just told you Joseph was still alive. By this time, Joseph was sold into slavery. Remember, and he managed to interpret the dreams of the of the king's um, guards, and then eventually the king needed a dream, so then he needed a dream interpreted, so he got Joseph out from jail. Joseph predicted the famine, so then Joseph got to sit at the right hand and be the governor over Egypt, and to be control, you know, to to control the crops as it was coming into the storehouse and everything, and to distribute the food. So he had got a lot of power, and then it just so happened that um his siblings happened to come into Egypt for corn. Remember. And this fulfilled the prophecy of the dream that he had, that he would be over all of them and he would save the whole entire family in a time of crisis. And they hated him for his dream. And then, of course, by that time, he said, just everybody come over. All of you come over. Don't, you know, the, um, all 12 tribes with all their children. So all whole large, over 500,000 of them are probably better, all came and moved to Egypt. So when they're saying that... um. And then eventually Joseph dies. But right now Joseph's still alive. But when Joseph dies, new 
leaders came up over Egypt who forgot Joseph, who, who forgot the, the um, pact that they had with them and the children of Israel, and they enslaved them. And we'll see that later on, too, here. So, um, yeah, so it says they um, came together like the sand of, like a sea of sand, and they went down to Egypt to fight with Joseph and his brethren in order to deliver their brethren. And Joseph and all the sons of Jacob heard that the sons of Esau and the children of the east had come upon them to battle in order to deliver their brethren. So again, this is Zepho making war. And Joseph and his brethren and the strong men of Egypt went forth and fought in the city of Ramses. And Joseph and his brethren dealt out a tremendous blow against the sons of Esau and the children of the east. And they slew of them 600,000 men, and they slew amongst them all the mighty men of the children of Seir, the Horite. There were only a few of them left, and they slew also a great many of the children of the east and of the children of Esau, okay? And Eliphaz, the son of Esau, and the children of the east all fled before Joseph and his brethren, which was the Israelites, okay? They can't seem to be pursuing them. And Joseph and his brother pursued them until they came to Succoth. Okay, now. This is all going on because Zepho has been captured. The reason they captured Zepho and, and, and a lot of them went away is because Zepho is the one that started this war. <laughs> Do you understand that Zepho is just the grandson of Esau? Which is why Esau was just died. This is ridiculous. This is what I'm trying to, I'm trying to paint a picture of a, of a two brothers who had made peace and then the children of, of Israel who never went out after Esau's children at all because they understood that they made peace and they're a godly nation. Why would they want to come against the children of Esau? I want to saw how the children of Esau just kept pursuing the children of Israel even unto this day. Hello, somebody. Why would it matter if Esau's Rome? Because Rome sacked Jerusalem in 70 AD. Rome is who scattered the children of Israel. Rome is who uh, depicted the fake pictures of white Jesus today, who's really Caesar Borgia, who was the son of a pope. And we should know that the Borgias was a wicked pagan family that was very into the occult and dark magic. So, you know, that's what you're looking at when you see white Jesus. You know, when you, then you'll understand why the Pope is running around here doing interfaith, um, trying to do this one world interfaith religion thing when there's only one true God and you can only worship God, the spirit, and the truth. So what is you running around taking all these relics from all these different religions and stuff that you ain't supposed to? Seeing you in a, God, in a, in a, in a synagogue, in a mosque, and you're bowing down. What are you doing? They, you know, then you start to understand why they're doing that. Now... It says, Sepho um, and Eliphaz, where am I? This is now chapter 57, verse 12. And Zepho, the son of Eliphaz and his men, were still slaves in Egypt to the sons of Jacob, and their pains increased. And when the sons of Esau and the sons of Seir returned to their land, the sons of Seir saw that they had fallen into the hands of the sons of Jacob and the people of Egypt on account of the battle. Okay. Now, let me see if I can skip down to something. Now, look, this is what I love. This is what they don't want you to know about. So now in verse 17 of the same chapter, it says, And the children of Esau sent secretly to Angeas, king of Africa. The same is Dinhabah, saying, Send unto us some of thy men and let them come unto us, and we will fight together with the children of Seir the Horite. For they have resolved to fight with us and to drive, um, to drive us away from the land. 
And King Angeus, king of Dinhabah, did so, for he was in those days friendly to the children of Esau. Okay, this is an African king, okay? African king is friends with the children of Esau. An African king, obviously, you can tell he's a descendant of Ham or something. So this is still just brethren. And Ham um, was the son of Noah. This is all a family thing. And Angeas sent 500 valiant infantry to the children of Esau and 800 cavalry. And the children of Seir sent unto the children of the east and unto the children of Medan, saying, Have you seen what the children of Esau have done unto us, upon whose account we are almost all destroyed in their battle because of the sons of Jacob? <laughs> so... So, the children of Seir sent unto the children of the east and unto the children of Midian, saying, Have you seen what the children of Esau have done unto us, upon whose account we are almost destroyed in the battle of the sons of Jacob? Okay, now therefore come to us and assist us, and we will fight them together, and we will drive them from the land and be avenged of their cause. Okay, Zepho is just causing all these trouble. It says, The children of Seir prevailed over prevailed then over the sons of Esau and the children of Seir slew on that day of the children of Esau in the battle about 200 men of the people of Angeas the king of Dinba okay so now that day they got I mean they just have bad luck Esau's children don't be getting in and they had help from the king of Africa but I'm gonna move on I want to talk about how that's all the whole this whole chapter chapter 54 is all the different wars that Zepho started Okay, Esau's children. Let's move on, though. I want to talk about how Zepho unites uh, Italy. But before that, let's see what it says here. Because I see his name popping up. I put a box over his name. And now look. In verse 58, verse 14, it says, And it came to pass at the end of many days and years, when the children of Esau were dwelling quietly in the land with Bela, their king, that the children of Esau were fruitful and multiplied in the land, and they resolved to go and fight with the sons of Jacob in all Egypt. You see what I'm saying? One day, what it basically said there is one day while they all was just sitting there minding their business, and they all just started to multiply. This is all after all that war he's, he, he staged like four or five chapters ago. Uh, they all just sitting there, and they all just keep reproducing and getting greater and greater. And one day, they have nothing better to do than... They resolved to go and fight with the sons of Jacob in all of Egypt and to deliver their brother Zepho, because Zepho was still there, okay? The son of Eliphaz and his men, for they were um, yet in those days um, still slaves to Joseph. So it says, And the children of Esau sent unto all the children of the east, and they made peace with them. So the children of the east is the ones that they made war with, with the African king, but the African king slayed them. I mean, I mean the African king and um, Esau's people got sacked by the children of the east, and the children of the east were upset because they had gotten together with Esau's children, um, Esau's children to go down to Israel, to go get the children of Israel, and they got their asses Excuse me, they got whooped real bad. So when they heard now that um, after they went and tried to help Esau's people, or after they went to go try to help um, Zepho's people to go get at the Egyptians, and they almost lost their lives only to find out now that Zepho went in behind their backs to go to the African king for the African king to come and help them to destroy them. But again, Zepho and them bus got beat up. They sat there for a while. They didn't have nothing better to do. So they chilled for a little while. They reproduce. We don't die. We multiply like babies, kids. And then one day they say, you know what? Zepho is still down there. We got to go get them. We can't let this win because it's a grudge. They're angry. It's just two, brother, two bloodlines, Jacob versus Esau. So um, they wrote to the children of um, the east, and then supposedly they made peace. 
Okay. And um, they made peace with them. And then all the children of the east came to them and they went with the children of Esau to Egypt to battle. Okay. And um, that's just east. Like I said, this is Zephos still. I mean, Zephos people and Esau people still going in after the children of Israel for, the, for whatever reason. Doesn't matter. The point is that they're still fighting them. Now, here we go. In chapter 60, you have that Zepho ex escapes the prison. So I told you how he got into the prison is that he went down there trying to kill them. The children of Israel overtook them and realized that he was the leader. So they took him and some of his guys and then the other ones they chased to the border. Remember that. So now in chapter 60, it says that Zepho, um, when the year came around being 72nd year from the Israelites going down into Egypt after the death of Ab, it says after the death of Joseph, Zepho, the son of Eliphaz, who was the son of Esau. They keep making that connection because they need you to know that Zepho is represents Esau, no matter how you look at it. They said he fled from Egypt, he and his men, and they went away. And they did this after Joseph died. They said, and he came, Zepho went to Africa which is Dinabah, to Angeus, the king of Africa. And Angeus received them with great honor, and he made Zepho captain of his host. This is, what they don't, this is why they don't want you to read Jasher. Because you start reading things like, how can't they not be black? I'm not, I'm, okay, I'm Africa, you already understood it's black. They gave y'all that. But I'm just saying, you got, you, the white man was just running over there to hang out with the king. No, this is all bedroom. This is all Noah's, Noah's. If you look at it, it's Noah's three sons that made Ham, um, that was Ham, who eventually made um, Cush, which is Ethiopia, and then, of course, Kish had Nimrod, which was the, the first new, new, new World Order thing, but it's a family here. And then you got um, the King Angeus, he, he descended from one of the children of Ham, but then you also have um, the children of Israel, who was descendants from um, Shem. That's why they call them Semitic, because they, they're descended from Shem. And then you're going to find out later, the Kittim people, who... Um, Zepho later intermarries with the Kittim people is a descendant of the brother or the son Japheth from Noah but this is all one family so when you see that Zepho was made captain of the host in Africa by an African king this is all this all reads blackish it, it all means Afro Afro stuff they don't want you to read that kind of stuff especially in here was also told you that uh, Moses was king over Ethiopia and they saw us to tell people that Moses wouldn't marry the Ethiopian woman because she was black. But that's not the case. He wouldn't marry her simply because she was um, from the children or the daughters of Canaan. So it says that um, Zepho found favor in the sight of Angeus and in the sight of his people. And Zepho was captain of the host Angeus of Africa for many days. Zepho, and now this is Zepho who later becomes Esau, or who was Esau, who was Edom, who later becomes Rome, is chilling in Africa and on top of Africa. And Zepho enticed Angeus, king of Africa, to collect all his army to go fight with the Egyptians and with the sons of Jacob. Everywhere the F Zepho seems to go, excuse my language, he seems to just get in some places and he's just, he's just, he's just very bitter. And he is carrying like a huge grudge. So this grudge could be anything from one day imprisoned me and two, they got this birthright that they kind of so did that their ancestor kind of cheated um my ancestor out of. And as soon as Esau died, because you see that they, they didn't even have he they had his head in one place and they was carrying and running with his body, fleeing with his life from the Israelites back to Seir, and they buried him in Seir. So he, he it's like he wasted no time. As soon as, as soon as Esau dropped dead, you know what I'm saying? He just started to take over the oath. So now he's getting into the um, the ears of, or he's trying to get into the ears of um, King Angeus of Africa to get his army to come with him and go wage war against the Egyptians and the sons of Jacob. Now they keep putting the Egyptians in there 
Because you got to remember, the children of Israel is, is living in Egypt. They're not yet enslaved, but they will be soon. And the Egyptians and the Israelites are living amongst each other in the land of Israel. Joseph just died. So Joseph was the one that brought them over there. They're, they're all cohabiting. It's a Zepho. But it says, but Angeus would not listen to Zepho to do this thing. For Angeus knew the strength of the sons of Jacob and what they had done to his army in their welfare with the children of Esau. And Zepho was in those days very great in the sight of Angeus and in the sight of all his people. And he continually enticed, this is Zepho, he continually enticed them to make war against Egypt, but they would not. The Africans was like, heck no, them people got too much power. We're not trying to really be a part of that. If you got a problem with them, that's y'all beef. That's not ours. And it says, and it came to pass in those days, there was in the land of Kittim, a man in the city of Puzia, whose name was Uzu. And he became degenerately defied by the children of Kittim, and the man died and had um, no son, only one daughter whose name was Jania. Now, enters Jania. Now, Kittim, like I was trying to mention before, but I'll just go back to Genesis chapter 10, because you, that's when we'll find out who that is. Okay, so Genesis um, chapter 10 shows us the sons of Japheth in verse 2. And it says, the sons of Japheth were Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshach, and Tiras. And then it goes down to say, and the sons of Gomer were Ashkenaz, is where you get the Ashkenazi Jews, is um, where you get Ashkenaz, is from Japheth, they came from his line, so they're not Semitic at all, they're Japhetic. <laughs> Hello, somebody. And then it says, Riphath and Torgamah. Then it says, and the sons of Javan, Eliphaz, Tarshish and Kittim. You see that? So the son of Devan is Kittim. And that's from the line of Japheth. And Japheth was one of Noah's three sons because it was Japheth, Ham, and Shem. Okay, but the Israelites came from Shem. The fake Jews today came from Ashenkenaz, which was from Japheth. They're not Semitic, they're Japhetic. And also Kittim people came from the line of Japheth as well. I just want to show you that. So when they're sitting here talking about that, um, it says that, um, well, where was it? It came to pass in those days that there was in the land of Kittim. Kittim meaning is that's where the, um, the, the son Kittim settled. So in those days, there was in the man of, in the city of Puzima was a man named Uzu. And he became degenerately defied by the children of Kittim. And the man died and had no son, only a daughter whose name was Jania. So Jania ends up reigning or taking hold over Kittim. Or the Kittim people, who are Japhetic people. They said, and the damsel was exceedingly beautiful, comely and intelligent, and there was none seen like unto her for beauty and wisdom throughout the land. And the people of Angeas, king of Africa, saw her, and they came and praised her unto him. And Angeas said to the children of Kittim, and he requested to take her unto himself for a wife. And the people of Kittim consented to give her unto him for a wife. 
And when the messengers of Angeas, now mind you, Kittim is an earlier version of Rome, so please pay attention. And when the messengers of Angeas were going forth from the land of Kittim to take their journey, behold, the messengers of Turnus, king of Bibentu, came unto Kittim. For Turnus, king of Bibentu, also had sent his messengers to request Jania for them. So all of this with Kittim starts with a woman, a beautiful woman named Jania. So you got people coming from all over trying to um, request her, okay, and be with her. Um... Now, lo and behold, I'm sorry, Angeas took, okay, so then long story short, there's this big fight, um, warring over her, but long story short, Angea ends up taking, Angea, the king of Africa, ends up taking Jania, the daughter, and brings her back, um, to the city of Africa, and this brings us to how Zepho unites Italy. So now we're gonna figure out how the hell it is that Zepho unites Italy. And now Italy is a country. We know Rome is like the capital, but we're gonna eventually find out how once he unites Italy later on in verse twenty-four, he becomes the first Roman king. And then I'm gonna stop there for a while. You know what I'm saying? Just to let all of that sink in for the people. So Zepho unites Italy. It says, and it came to pass. At the time of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, commanded all his people to make for him a strong place or palace in Egypt. And he also commanded the sons of Jacob to assist the Egyptians in building the Egyptians, made a beautiful palace, and blah, 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 blah. Now, let's see. It says, um, and Zepho, the son of Eliphaz, the son of Esau, captain of the host to Angeas of Dinabah, was still daily, daily enticing Angeas to prepare for battle to fight with the sons of Jacob in Egypt. And Angeas was unwilling to do this thing for his servants have re related to him all the might of the sons of Jacob, what they had done unto them in their battle with their children and of Esau. And Zepho was in those days daily enticing Angeas to fight with. I want to just give you the mindset of his descendants. Okay, at this point, Zepho's free. So remember when they kept saying before that the the um the the um, descendants of Esau or the sons of Esau wanted first to war with the children of Israel to get Zepho back. Once Joseph died, it says that Zepho escaped the Egyptian prison um, after he failed to um take them out in an attack with children of the east it said that he was held in prison after joseph died he was released from prison right it said he went straight to the african king angeus and from there he started baiting him year in year out daily to go against the children of israel but at first it was because the sons wanted to free him now that he's free what does you keep going to go i'm trying to show you what would you want to keep wanting to go back to them for i guess you could say because you all had me enslaved but if you really think about it it's like a bigger picture here you know what i mean so now um, amongst the service, um, Balam, Balam, I want to just skip to the parts that I feel are important. So it says, and when Zepho, the son of Eliphaz, saw that Angeas despaired of going forth to battle with the Egyptians, Zepho fled from Angeas from Africa, and he went and came unto Kittim. Okay, now hello somebody. Let's 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 understand that Kitsum would have been modern day Italy. You understand? So what I'm simply saying is he said, Okay, you're not gonna 
you're not going to do this thing with me and go to battle with me for the Egyptians. So I'm going to leave you and I'm going to leave my, my seat, my high power seat that I have with the king of Africa. And I'm going to go to the Kittim. And all the people of Kittim received him with great honor. And they hired him to fight their battles all the days. And Zepho became exceedingly rich in those days. And all the troops of the king of Africa still spread themselves in those days. And the children of Kittim assembled and went to Mount Kuptizia on account of the troops of Zaki of Zia the king who were advancing upon them. So after Zepho leaves and comes to the children of Kittim, and he's such a war person. Also, what he wants to do is build war. He fights war for them. They, they receive him with open arms because of the way he fights wars for them. And they make him, I guess you could say, like their leader. And then so what happens is Angeas, the king of Africa, now stages war against Rome. And so now he has his team getting ready to go fight. So... He says, and one, and it was one day that Zepho lost a young heifer, blah, 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 blah. And Zepho went and he saw, and behold, there was a large cave at the bottom of the mountain. And there was a great stone there at the entrance of the cave. And Zepho split the stone and he came into the cave and he looked and behold, a large animal was devouring an ox. Okay, that was something else. And now Jania. I'm trying to figure out what what happens to Janine. I'm sorry. Give me one minute. Okay. Now this is how this is how this is how Zepho becomes the first Roman king. So I could just wrap this up because you gotta remember Kittim equals Rome equals Esau equals Edom equals Italy, and it says Zepho becomes first Roman king and the children of Kittim saw the valor of Zepho. This is the children of Kittim, which was modern day um, Rome, Italy area. And the children of Kittim resolved and they made Zepho king over them. And he became king over them. And whilst he reigned, they went to subdue the children of Tubal and surrounding islands. And their king, Zepho, went at their head and they made war with Tubal and the islands and subdued them. Because that's all Zepho do. And then, it, and then lastly, it says, they renewed his government for him. And they built for him a very large palace from his royal habitation and seat. And they made a large throne for him. And Zepho reigned over the whole land of Kittim and over the land of Italia. I'll say that again. <laughs> And Zepho reigned over the whole land of Kittim. It was, again, Kittim equals Rome, equals Esau, equals Edom, equals Italy, and over the land of Italia, 50 years, okay? And then it goes on from then to talk about um, the African-Roman War, because, again, Angeus was wanting to attack Rome, um, because it says, look, it says here, as Zepho, the son of Eliphaz, the son of Esau, they keep letting you know it's the same person, over the children of Kittim, which Kittim people descended from the Japhetic line, but they went into the European nations. The children of Africa came unto the children of Kittim to plunder them as usual, but they had not come um, from them, for, they did not come upon them for 13 years. 
And it said the troops of Africa fled before Zepho and the slain fell before him. And Zepho and his men pursued them, going on smiting them until they were near Africa. So then there was also a Roman-Egyptian war. Yeah, because Zepho finally got his army. Why wouldn't he have went back to Egypt to go flee and um, uh, wage war on them? And then, of course, um, in chapter 65, the Israelites get enslaved because we have this... Um, verse here that says behold the, the people of the children of israel is greater and mightier than we are and you know it's all the evil in which they did to us on the road when we returned from battle yeah because during the um the roman egyptian war i'll just tell you that the egyptians were scared to death of zepho and his people um that it turns out okay so it says, it says right here but zepho remembered not the lord and considered not the lord had helped him in battle and he went after the children of israel but when he went in he went into the children he went up into the egyptians the egyptians weren't mighty so what they figured was okay we have to defend our lands anyway because they're egyptian they didn't want anything happen to them all their you know stuff that they had built by the slaves they act like they did it themselves but the way they looked at it is look Put the children of Israel in front of us. Put them at the front lines. This is really grimy what they did. They're like, just put them at the front lines. Because no matter what happens, like if anybody's going to die, let the slaves die first, so to speak. Not understanding that the children of Israel had the power of God on them. So when Zepho, who is Esau, comes through to um, attack Egypt or the Egyptians. Egyptians is a dynasty, but you have to understand they really want the slaves in there which is children of Israel, which is their brethren, who even though they're enslaved, even though these people are, are about to be enslaved, they're not enslaved yet, they're about to be enslaved, they still want to come for them. The Egyptians didn't want a part of that with the Romans, so they, so they sat there and put the, Egyptians, the um, Israelites in the front. Come to find out the Israelites slayed everything breathing from here to, you know, to, from here to China. And when they did that, the Egyptians on the side of the road, the Egyptians didn't do anything. Come to find out that when they were fighting, as they were fighting and, you know, they were fighting for their lives, they turned around and realized that the Egyptians were way behind. They could care less to follow behind them to support them at all. It was an Egyptian-Roman war, but the Egyptian-Roman war was technically fought by the Hebrew Israelites all by themselves. And they prospered and they prevailed because the Most High God was with them. But now they were so upset on the way back, right? They went on the way back. They started playing games. So they, it, it says it right here in the book. I'm just paraphrasing it. But in the book, it said on the way back to um, Egypt, the Israelites were walking back to Egypt and they would see like Romans on the side of the road. And they would be like, is this a Roman? Or they'd be like, is this an Egyptian? Or they would see Egyptians on the side of Rome. And they would say, is this an Egyptian? Or is this a Roman? They knew good and damn well it was an Egyptian, but they were like, oh, it's a Roman. And they killed Egyptians on the way back, just trying to be funny because they were mad. So they were like, is that a Roman or Egyptian? Eh, looks like it. It looked like a Roman to me. Damn well, it's an Egyptian. So now um, in this verse, in, in chapter 65, when they decide to um, enslave the children of Israel, they said, behold, the people of the children of Israel is greater and mightier than we are. And thou knowest all the evil which they did to us on the road when we returned from battle. Meaning they was just slaying them for fun. That's when they realized how mighty and powerful they were. And they said, listen, if they could do all that. And thou hast also seen their strong power. For this power is unto them from their forefathers. But a few men stood up against the people numerous as the sand and smote them at the edge of a sword. Pretty much it says, listen, we got we to gotta take counsel what to do with them. Okay, and then it said, for if the children of Israel should increase in the land, they will become an obstacle to us. And if any war should happen to take place, they with their great strength will join our enemy against us and fight over us and destroy us. And this is when they conspire to 
enslave him because Joseph had died by this time. Okay. And um, this is that. So I'm going to call this a part one, even though I hate calling things part ones, because I noticed that a lot of people trying to shortcut to the truth and they jump straight to the part twos. Hey, it doesn't matter to me. You know, where the most high leads you is where the most high leads you. I try to put in part twos, a lot of things from part ones anyway, for those that try to do that. But, you know, sometimes everything isn't going to get caught in there. So I hope that people, you know, would like to take their time with this because you're looking for truth. You're looking for like I can lead a horse to water, but I can't make a horse drink. It's not my job. The only thing I can do is try to make the water just seem appealing <laughs> and cold enough. And hope that by this time I, I lead a horse to water that they're thirsty enough, kind of, so to speak. And that they um, can see from what I've shown them that the water is clean. The water is good. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's for um, nourishment and to sustain them. You know what I'm saying? As opposed to being filled with poison or, or some kind of um, toxins that's not good for them on the inside. So I know that was a lot of reading. My reading isn't that great. But I didn't just want to say it's in Jasher this and in Jasher that. Some people don't have the books. So maybe if you can hear me, hear it out, read it out, maybe you'll download like a PDF version of it or something or make notes. And then, especially if you're having Bible study or maybe you order the book later or get it later and you can refer to these things. Now, there's also Rome mentioned in, um, so, so look, we just put Esau's children under Zepho, making it all the way to Rome, hanging out with African kings, just conspiring for many long time to keep getting back at the children of Israel who was just in Egypt at the time. Then they get enslaved. Now, I also talk about the Amalekites who went after the children of Israel as soon as they got up out of Egypt. So you, can, you had people coming after them from Esau's line before they got enslaved in Egypt. Okay. After they got out of Egypt, it's the first people they encountered in the wilderness who tried to kill them was the Amalekites. Amalek was a descendant of Esau. Okay. And then as we go on in the book, you'll find out. Like I told you in Jasher, that how um he then you want to know then you want to know why they took out Jasher because somebody maybe see why you got things with African kings and Zepho you got things with Z, with, with the children because if these people are here and they still are and they are pressing and purposely hiding the identities of these people and calling the Ashkenazi Japhetic Jews the Semitic Jews which they're not because those Jews are scattered. And then they have the nerve to make themselves the head of the church. And they also decided what would be in the book and what not be in the book. Does that not sound like Esau's descendants is still out here messing around with stuff? Who else would decide what's in the book and what's not in the book and all this other stuff? You know, this is the stuff that I want you all to understand, you know, so you can understand that there's a conspiracy being held up out here. And these are not the only bloodlines that be acting up. It's not just Esau's and this and that. But if I could take out this book that would prove to you that I made it to Rome or that I, my descendants made it to Rome. I mean, once you connect it to Rome, you start looking at what the heck Rome is doing. You'll be like, oh my gosh, this makes sense. You know what I'm saying? So this is why I wanted to do that. But I know there's more that I'm going to bring up. Like I have not talked about that. We just talked about how um, Esau made it to Rome through Kittim, through the Jephag people. There was a marriage or a union. He went, he went up in there. He fought some, off, some wars for them. The Kittim people said, you are king. And then from then on, you know he had to have descendants who went up through that line. We don't know who his descendants are, but we know that he was the first, the first emperor of Rome or the first king of Rome was a descendant of Esau. Okay? We also see that he, the first thing he did was try to get the children of Israel over there. But <clears throat> when I talk about 70 AD and the Apocrypha, when they sacked, <coughs> excuse me, when Rome sacked Jerusalem in 70 AD, and please note that Zepho was the emperor of the first king over Rome. Before, before, I think I'm going to say right after Joseph died, but before the Exodus. So that means Rome or Italia or Kittim had already been established for a very long time as far as having like a history. 
and also somewhere down the line you want to believe or i'd like to believe that his descendants is the ones that end up sacking Jerusalem in 70 AD. It was Rome. And now look at how big the Vatican is. You can't take a camera in. You can't take a camera out. They got all that stuff there. But um, we're going to do a part two a little later on. It's a very extensive. But there it is. There you have it. Esau's Rome. See you next time here on Who's on the Lord's Side.